Welcome back, everyone. I'd like to take a moment to welcome you to Cordial Candor. Uh, as you all know, I was not here on the last episode. Uh, took a little hiatus, but now I'm back with my friends. And first, I'll introduce Samuel. Hello, Matthew. How you doing? And then we'd also like to introduce Dusty. Good afternoon, everybody. How we doing? I'll tell you what, man. Hanging in there. Quite well. Stressed hey. out, but... You know what's fun about this episode? If I draw a circle in the air, you guys can see me this time, unlike last time. Yeah. We're using a, uh, or if I was talking about, like, rockets taking off from space, into space, like, you can see what I'm actually talking about. But, uh, we were using FaceTime this, this time, you all, so that's, uh, that's what's going on. Last time we were on, uh, an Xbox Live party trying to get things figured out, and, you know, that didn't quite work out to the most advantageous position that it could have. I will say that our Xbox Live party chats typically tend to be the most interesting. Yeah, they can be, most certainly. That's actually why we started doing some, uh, had the idea to do a podcast like this, because we had such interesting conversations, but I don't know, pretty high level, and then whenever you get to the podcast, sometimes it's like dirt, like, it doesn't uh, quite take off the way we want it to, but. It's either that, or we're cursing the 12-year-olds who just kicked our butts. <laughs> <laughs> that as well. Hey, I will say... We did get a few dubs last night. So. Yeah. Uh, Samuel. Matthew. What do you have for us for a Today in History? So, the Today in History kind of goes into what our main topic is going to be today. We're going to try to stick to one topic to the audience. We'll, we'll Coronavirus! Uh, if it doesn't work out, we can pull out more topics and we'll just we'll keep going. So, today in history is in 1968, the United States exploded beneath the Nevada desert, a 1.3 megaton nuclear device called Boxcar. So, what the, the main topic today for me, so I was listening to a podcast and it was talking about, it's the Cold War, what we saw. Would highly recommend if you haven't uh, checked it out. So, this guy was talking about how just incredibly powerful the United States was during the Cold War. They were so powerful that they they created a world and an economy to where they could exist even if the Soviet Union is, is existing, but they made it to where the Soviet Union could not exist in a world with the United States, giving us the most uh, advantageous power that we could, and we came out on top. So then I was sitting there thinking, you know, like what happened to where we were the most powerful nation on the earth could take out an opponent across the world without having to fire a shot at them. Like, how crazy is that? Now, we, you know, COVID-19 has pretty much shut down our country and our economy. Like, what in the world happened? Thoughts, guys? So what happened between the, from Cold War and, you know, the 19, you know, 47 to 1991? What happened in that time span compared uh, to now? Vietnam... Uh, then you got well. That's uh, in that time span. Operation. Yeah, I thought that. I thought you were asking what happened in that time span. No, what? No, <laughs> what happened from 1947 oh, to 1991? That time span of the Cold War. What happened comparing that to today? Like what happened to where we became oh. the most powerful country on the earth to a country completely destroyed? It seems like via an invisible enemy. Well, in the late 80s, we armed the Middle East when we left and left a bunch of weapons there. That was one thing we did. Um, 
Okay. I, I think one of the big problems is that we no longer have an enemy to fight, a real threat. You know, nobody thinks that the Middle East is a real threat, right? Because if it came down to it, total war with the Middle East, it would take approximately a week for us to decimate their army so badly that they would not have anything to retaliate with other than guerrilla tactics. Which is what they're using now. And to be honest, asymmetrical warfare is by far the most effective defensive strategy you could have. No doubt. But as far as their, I mean, their navy, it would take us, what, two hours to wipe their navy completely off the map? What navy? Exactly. <laughs> Do they even have a navy? Yes. Okay. But, More I mean, you know, you know they're... Their military might is not superior, and so that there's no real common threat as far as the world is concerned. You say China, but we opened up to China, or we opened China up either way, um, and made it so that China is no longer a quote-unquote enemy. They are, uh, I mean, really, it's, there are most... They're a necessary ally. They're a necessary evil. You know, we kind yeah. of okay. we kind of live with the fact that they're a communist country they're for socialist. the simple, well, a dictatorship. Yes, if a communist would a communist nation wouldn't have a dictatorship per Karl Marx and Friedrich Engels. Well, here's another thing that's kind of happened a little more uh, since that time frame you elaborated on, Samuel. I think that nowadays the uh, United States gets a little more involved than we would have prior to that time frame. We were more of a keep our nose out of it, uh, kind of watch and wait. Like in uh, in the World Wars in Vietnam, both we didn't go in right away. We waited and said, "Okay, we'll wait a little while, see what happens," and then we jumped in. Nowadays, somebody in North Korea can fart the wrong way, and I feel like we could maybe get in there at any moment. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, we might have to with Kim Jong Un might, might be having been killed. Kim Yo Un, but do you guys over. do you guys kind of agree with that though? That in the past, no, since that because, time frame you elaborated like you said, on, since that time frame, but during that time frame, we were doing a lot of those things. So that's not necessarily something that changed. That was something that changed in like 1939, whenever we got into yeah. Or 1941, whenever we got into the uh, Second World War, that's not something. That's something that changed within the Cold War time span, not between the Cold War and modern day. Which is only like a course of 20 years. Yeah, that's what 19. I'm saying. Um, I think the lack well, of 30. a unifying enemy is one thing, and what they call the Great Peace. This is a. I mean, most generations alive today are generations of the Great Peace. You know, I mean, we've seen mm -hmm. some people have seen Korea and Vietnam, um, Desert Storm, the war in Iraq, but there's been no full-scale real war for the first time in a long time. I mean, nobody's. Yeah. You know, and it's. I think it's part of the issue that goes along with the sh cultural shift in the United States as well towards a more s I, I want to say soft but I don't know that that's the proper way to say it <laughs> okay uh, the softening of the American beliefs I mean you know no longer do we hold ourselves to a standard that is higher than anybody else we no longer have the 
attitude that you can pick yourself up by your bootstraps and and become anything you want because you know we think that there's an equity we know that there's an equities and that's just a truth of life but there's mm-hmm. no longer people who think that you can i mean there's a lot of people who think the american dream have died and i think yeah. that that's i don't think that that's necessarily true it's still the greatest country for as far as uh income mobility in the for you know for the the ability to go from the lowest to the highest and vice versa, there are a lot of people who are born with millions of dollars and squander it because but they that's are far not the people less who, likely. Well, I mean, it depends. If you have a million if you're dollars, born you're more with likely money, you're likely going to keep it. I, I don't think the statistics necessarily prove that. We've we've had this conversation before on the podcast, and I've yet to see these statistics. I would like to see them. I think it'd be really really curious, but I think that it's more likely that if you're born rich, you'll keep your money, but if you're born poor, you'll also stay poor. Well, I mean, that's the that's the vast majority of people. I guess it depends too on. I mean, I I, I couldn't tell you, but. Not off the top of my head, anyway. Um, I, I just think that there's a lot of people who we started doing things. We started taking people's feelings into account more than facts. It's oh yeah. It's now more. We've turned a lot of people into snowflakes. Let's just say it. I mean, kind of. Yeah. We, you know, everybody's well, special, and nobody's allowed to lose because it hurts people's feelings, and you have to be very careful and walk on eggshells and. It becomes quite a quite an ordeal. And I told Samuel the other day, I know in a text message, that I said it was because we no longer keep score in kids' sports. Which was more of a... I mean, how the hell are you supposed to know who wins? That's the stupidest damn thing I ever heard. It's more of a goof, but I think it is a symptom of the problem where you should know where you succeed and where you fail in things. That way you can either focus on where you succeed or work to fix your shortfallings, and that's the only way you get better is to know where you're bad and fix it. You can't just see come, you know, if you're told you're great at it and you're not great at it, then you're sad when you're actually not great at it. Yeah, and I think that that comes from, like, I see what you're saying. I don't necessarily 100% agree you know, I think keeping scores is this fine, but like kind of what you're alluding to is that, you know, taking the score away completely is kind of overstepping the bounds. Kind of like you, like parents should absolutely support their child, whether on the winning side or losing side. I but this is, I, I think that's just taking it a bit too far. Uh, like going into something that you may not necessarily be good at and trying your best, I think that absolutely needs to be encouraged. Uh, if, that, <laughs> if anything's part of the American dream, that would be it is to, yeah, regardless of something, a task may seem insurmountable that you still need to try your best, put your best foot forward, and do everything you can to achieve your goals. Uh, and I, so I think there needs to be a healthy medium. You know, I, I'm not sure if that's, like, the only problem or even the main problem, but it, it could be part of it. Well, let's say little Billy, his mom takes him out for soccer. And let's say, for all all intents and purposes, let's say little Billy is not in a wheelchair, but little little Billy's abilities show that he might as well be in a wheelchair on a soccer field. Little Billy is that bad, 
But we take little Billy out there and we give him trophies and we say, look, every kid gets a trophy. It doesn't matter. We don't know what the score was. Little Billy's ecstatic. Little Billy plays soccer for the next five years, gets into middle school, tries out for the team, and Little Billy, everyone tells him, you might as well be in a wheelchair. Little Billy's going to be crushed. He's going to be like, damn, I suck. So would you rather... But if somebody would have told Little Billy that he was bad and he took the time to get better, then maybe he would make the damn middle school team. So, Matt, would you rather be a dick to a 7-year-old or to a 13-year-old? Like, that that's kind of what we're going for here. Like, would you rather squander an 8-year-old kid's dream or would you rather have Little a conversation? Sorry. Would you rather squander a 7-year-old's dream or would you rather have a conversation with a 13-year-old? Like, there's a huge age and maturity discrepancy there. Uh but here's so the thing, if you okay tell them when they're younger, they've got more time to get better. It's okay to... If they well, get you better. Don't, <laughs> you all had to tell them they, grow up, they yeah. need encouragement. Like, okay, let's work on this. That's, so it's all about how you do it, not necessarily saying that, oh, you did great. Even if you give someone a participation trophy, it's like, hey, you showed up, you tried your best. That's what it means. Like, when I was a kid, like, I got a few participation trophies, and I wasn't near like, I wasn't like, oh, my God, I did so great. I was just like, well, I showed up. Like, I understood what it meant, like... So I don't think that's really giving out participation trophies. I really don't think that's the, such a big deal as that's being made out to be. But but I think it makes you strive for to be better when you see that there is a reward to being better versus showing up. Because it's not like you're getting a trophy for finishing first and for showing up. You get a trophy mm-hmm. for showing up. And if there's no reward incentive there to hey if i try harder the next year i can get a trophy so but then if you encourage i'm not saying we take little billy i'm not saying we take little billy out back and hit him in the kneecap with the with a pipe wrench and put him in a wheelchair but if he's that bad maybe you don't have to have that conversation with him when he's 13 i don't know well so here's the deal like if you Oh my god, I forgot what I was going to say. Okay, so what we're, what we're talking about are sports. What's inherently good about sports is kids getting out and exercising. So if you look at this from a very large, uh, distant point of view, you could easily say that, you know, yeah, let's encourage these kids to keep playing sports. Even if they're not good at it, It's it doesn't matter. They're going out and they're exercising. They're staying as healthy as they can be. So I think, I think from that perspective, that is a absolutely a good I think sports I know, that's what I'm saying. That was so... I was just saying we're looking at this one aspect of it. Right. I wasn't saying that's all sports is, but like from a general point of view, we can say it's a good thing, and here's why. Right. I think the just the ability to handle the adversity of being the losing team is something that I think we see a lot of sore losers because people <laughs> yeah. were never taught how to lose. It's you know it's something that's not easy to do. And a lot of times, and I think that might be part of it, is that we see these people who, they went and they got a liberal arts degree, and then they can't find a good job out of college, you know, you got a an arts degree, and what are you going to do with that? You're either going to curate a museum, or you're going to be an art teacher, and they end up being an art teacher, and they then they get mad at the system, because the system told them to go get a degree and now it's and it's you you didn't make a wise decision and then you blame the system you blame everyone else for the fact that now you can't find a cool job that you wanted or whatever it may be when the the blame is squarely on 
the shoulders of you. You know, it's it's your yeah. decisions that got you there, and now you're being a sore loser. And instead of wanting to try to better yourself, you're just going around and saying, "This isn't fair. I didn't get what I wanted. This is BS." Someone and that's probably me. where we, and that's probably where we get a lot Poor. of the entitlement that we see today. Um, so I mean, I definitely think that is a good point to make. Yeah. Poor little Billy. He 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 freaking went off and got a liberal arts degree. <laughs> little Billy sucks. Poor Billy. They they should have put him in that damn wheelchair. Oh. Hey, just because you're in a wheelchair Matt, you're doesn't get mean canceled. you can't do things. <laughs> I know I am. <laughs> just because you're in a wheelchair doesn't mean you can't be great. But I, I think that's part of the issue. Uh, I wonder how much of it, too, is not that we have quit being quite as great and is that we have tried to lift the rest of the world into greatness as well. Um, through yeah. things such as NATO, The Who, we've tried to go with more international programs so that we can... We can grow. Like we can grow the rest of the world as well. Yeah. And so instead of like us trying to become the best we can be, we've tried to pull everyone to our level. So like, right. it's like we talked about last between week. The, the discrepancy with the rest of the world in the United States in the 1950s was so vast, and now that we've kind of pulled everybody up, it's a lot closer. So marginally, we don't see much of a difference between the United States and the rest of the world because we made it that way. Right. I like that point a lot. And a lot of the military advances we have made, things like that, we have shared with our allies. I mean, NATO in general's army consists pretty much solely the American army. You know, I mean, a lot of the, the broader things that happen around the world are because America was so great, they pulled everyone else out of mediocrity um yeah. and it's a lot like we talked about last week where instead of focusing on the top two percent of people who could be innovators we've tried to focus on the bottom two percent of people who and tried to pull them up from the lowest levels and tried to pull them into mediocrity yeah. um so you know you see these smaller countries around the world that have come so far in the last 20, 30 years that even though it looks like we're not making strides forward, it's just that our strides aren't as big or don't look as large because everyone else is, you know, coming up behind us. And I think even a lot of it could be due to um, the, the intellectual property issues you have with China. Um, oh, a lot yeah, of the, that's a freaking joke. A lot of the technological advances we make in the United States are immediately ripped off by China and produced at a lower, a lower price because you know they pay their employees twenty five cents a day and a bowl of rice and say, "Here you go, shut up and go home." And they have nets on the fifth floor, so if anybody jumps off, they yeah, have to that's die. a dark thing. Like, how many people have to jump before you start putting up nets? Is my question. A bunch. Uh, Apple. Well, not Thank necessarily. It depends on where it is. Because, like, if it's a large company, then you're going to have to do it a lot sooner than if it were just a small company making shoes or something. Oh, like, no, it's Apple. The, the media press would be. Oh, is it Apple? Yeah, the, the, it's the, the people, press would be it's the the people making there, the phones we're using to talk. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
there, I don't know. There's not a large freedom of press in China, so maybe they just don't care. Is there a freedom of press? Because I don't think so. <laughs> There's the illusion no. of one. But, um... So I wonder, too, how much of it has to do with that, how far other countries would be behind if if it weren't for intellectual property rights that are violated constantly. I mean, you look at the, um, oh, what are they called? The um, It's the Chinese phone company that is banned in America. Oh. Zach, do you know? <laughs> um, somebody does. Oh, crap, what is it called? Just so everybody knows, Zach uh, is sitting in on the uh, the FaceTime with us for moral support. There's um, there's these phones, and they're supposed to be the great latest greatest phones, but they're banned in America because they are a national security concern. Because oh, seems legit. it's Corona phone. It's called Huawei. Um. And basically all it is is they ripped off the cameras from one company. They ripped off the processors and the operating system from iPhone. And they've just thrown it all together so that they made this proprietary product made out of other people's stuff. And we're like, look, we've got the greatest thing ever. And it's like, well, you do. But it's because you ripped off them and them and them and them and them and put it all together. Which in the United States would be wholly illegal. Wouldn't it be better to kind of take away those rights and to let China do their thing and sell it? Because in the capitalist market, that would uh, cause Apple to try to innovate more and faster. So in terms of technological advances, we should be able to advance faster. during Like, I understand it's not ideal because you have to be able to protect people's uh, stuff for X amount of time. That way there's they have that incentive going for them to well, actually trade stuff. But it's the problem but, of not that they are innovating better. It's the fact that they're ripping it off as soon as the innovation yep. begins and you I'm can sure. only innovate so fast. So, you know, Apple throws billions of dollars into R and D and six months after they roll it out, the Huawei has ripped it off and put it on the market without having to incur the R and D costs. So yeah. all you're going to do is you're going to, it's much like the pharmaceutical problem we have. All you're going to do is, deter people from dumping money into R&D and moving forward with things because they are not going to want to incur that cost for no return. <clears throat> and so things like that, I think, too, put a real depressor on the, the strives, quote-unquote strives, we make towards technological supremacy sorry i had to burp everybody uh towards uh technological supremacy things like that um military military is the same way you know they they find the idea and they're like oh cool we'll copy that and so it it makes it look like we're not as good when in reality we're we're doing all the work and incurring all the costs just to reap none of the reward because it immediately gets jacked and sold at a cheaper price. But so I don't I don't know. It's a very multifaceted topic. Um, mm-hmm. I think, like I said, so, the great peace is probably part of the issue. Things like that, where people just they don't they don't understand what it's like to be a country unified. I mean, the the only thing we've had happen in 
our lifetimes would be 9-11, and those few, what, five years afterwards were, you know, America's back, baby, here we go, and then... Uh, Dusty, I will have you know, I was the only one on the on the podcast that was there when Soviet Russia fell, so... Oh, I'm sorry, uh, thank you, you were, was, what, one month good. old? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Do you remember the Soviet Russia? Yes. Ah. Wholeheartedly. Interesting. <laughs> it was in my lifetime. Well, I guess technically. <laughs> even technically if you weren't true. even if you weren't cognizant of it. Yeah. Oh, Russia. <laughs> uh yeah, I don't know. I really feel like maybe it is the enemy factor. Maybe it is uh everybody's a bunch of snowflakes. Maybe it is the participation trophies. Maybe that's the driving force behind the threes. I just think people need to be taught how to think using logic and not feelings. That is one of the main things that I see, especially like on like on Facebook and stuff, because they're like, oh, I feel this instead of I think this because of this. And that's one of the things that frustrates me the most. Like if you can't uh, form a intellectual argument, then I really don't care to hear what you have to say. I don't care if you feel like doing X is wrong. Like, I don't care if you think mail-in voting is wrong because there might be an issue with tampering, which the states that do it anyway, they show little to no tampering with it at all. But So, like, that's just that's one of the main things I've seen recently is uh, Brashear signing the uh, abortion thing and the mail-in voting thing. It's like the only thing I've been seeing on my Facebook page, and I'm so sick of hearing about abortion. What did Brashear do with the abortion? He opened he signed, uh, an abortion clinic in Lexington. Uh, what he did was, so like if there's a failed abortion that the doctors, the, the bill was supposed to be, if there's a failed abortion, the doctors have to do their best to save that baby's life. And he vetoed the hell out of it. Which I think is a good thing because if you survive an abortion, it's very likely that you're going to be very dis- disfigured yeah, that sounds and bad. dismembered because they kind of kill your brain a little bit. Uh, so if you survive, it's not good. It's not good at all. And plus, like they cut the baby up or the fetus up, however you want to consider it, they cut it up whenever they take it out. So like, it's going to die eventually during the process. Not necessarily yeah, a good thing. That sounds like but... counterintuitive to save something that was. Yeah, so he you know, vetoed destroyed. the hell out of the bill, and people were up in arms about it for no reason other than they think abortion is wrong. Instead of doing what is after, like, uh, incurred uh, effect, <laughs> uh, effects like that, that it would be more humane just to go ahead and take out the fetus. Like, and to go ahead and kill it. Like, it would be way more humane than to force it to live under circumstances that would not be advantageous for its survival. Well, here's my thing. I would never abort, uh, I would never want my wife to abort uh, Let's just not get uh, into it, but, man, honestly. Well, no, no, what I'm going to say, I would never want that. But, if a woman chooses to do it, which I feel she should have the right to do, if it fails, shouldn't she have another option? Like, but that then, doesn't seem ethical to not veto that bill. Right? That, that's... Why would you save it? I'm with you on the same. I'm just. I'm I know, just but like, I don't want. I don't want to get canceled. I don't want people to be like, "Oh, they're they love abortion. They want babies to die." And it's like, no, no one wants babies to die. You're a monster for even assuming that. No, so I mean, like, I'm it's just, just one it's, of those things. Someone's that body. Better steer away from like their choice. Like, no, I I agree with you 100. percent 
I hate the process of abortion. I think it's a, a monstrous thing to do. But then again, I'm not going to stand outside of an abortion clinic and tell some poor woman that she is making the worst mistake of her life, that she's a terrible person for doing what she's about to do to this baby, or whenever she's coming out, tell her that she's a murderer. Like, I'm not that big of an asshole. I'm not going to pressure her when she's making the most difficult decision of her life. Dave Chappelle well, has a really it, funny bit about this in Sticks and Stones. If you haven't watched it, check it out on Netflix. It's hilarious. I wanted to cry because it was so funny. Um, I think that might be it. <laughs> oh, thank God. Well, my thing is, all these people that are so religious and don't want abortion. Oh, God. The Bible says, judge not lest ye be judged. Agreed. Even the Catholic so. Church is okay with abortion if it's going to save the mother's life. Like, and that's that's one of the things yep. that surprised me. I learned that recently. I think from Dusty, actually. Better to preserve the life of the living than to take the risk of the life of uh, of something that may or may not come out living. Yeah. Plus, if it doesn't have a mother, who's going to care for it? Not saying fathers can't do it. Don't cancel me. But <laughs> but I, oh, you know I gosh. don't I don't know. There's it's so multifaceted. There are so many things that that go into it and maybe some of it is warranted you know maybe there's something worth looking into in the healthcare system and i think that drug prices are probably too high and i think that there's a lot of things that can be fixed but i think that they have to be looked at and not you can't solve a problem by fixing one part of it you know you can't just look at yeah. the, the original problem and say all right Drug prices are too high, we're going to lower those prices. You have to look at the secondary and the tertiary effects and make sure that you can address those ahead of time or else you're just putting a band-aid on a problem, making it worse. Exactly. But, the rent is too damn that's high. That's because of rent control. Don't let them tell you differently. Uh, well, since Zach's on the call... And he's not here. I'm going to do something for him. And I'm going to ask you guys a question. This is just going to be a quick tidbit. Has anyone heard of the conspiracy theory that the government is using Snapchat to do facial recognition? I've heard the, um, the, I don't know that if it was Snapchat, but it was the one, the, the, the TikTok. app where you could age yourself or maybe the, the, um, The BuzzFeed challenge where you could age yourself and see what you would look like when you're 50 or whatever. And it was, and there were theories that they were using that to dial in their facial recognition so that they could see, you know, okay, well, here's how we can age pictures more accurately, and here's how we can use the system to recognize different things. Which, I mean, that's kind of how research is done, right? I mean, you you use it, and you figure out where it fails and where it can be better, and you progress it. And, I mean... Well, maybe maybe it could help uh, find little Billy when he gets uh, thrown out of his home because he's so bad at soccer, and he's out on the streets. They can age little Billy's picture better, and then they can better find him. I'm going to take a guess he's in Sorry, California, probably somewhere in L.A. County. <laughs> well Bill in Oklahoma 
I know he's kind of probably into this. And Bill, we haven't seen you in a while, but we just want to say we hope you're doing well. Hmm. No doubt. Samuel, have you had them do a welfare check on Bill? No, I have not called have that you, in. Have you heard him from him lately? Oh, it's, I hear from him every now and again, but not for a little while. So you, you don't know if the Wu-Tang flu has got him yet? Not to my knowledge, but I'm sure I would have heard about it. Oh, I remember what I was okay. going to say. Samuel, you were talking about people making emotional arguments instead of factual ones. God dang it, yes. <laughs> and uh, I was watching the NFL draft this morning. It was rounds four through seven, and I wasn't uh-huh. really watching it. We turned it on while we were eating breakfast, you know, just something to be on TV. And um, they had a former NFL player who is now a resident, which I say is a fancy term for an intern, at Mass General. Uh, he goes to he went to Harvard Law School, which is very impressive. He was a Rhodes Scholar while he was in his undergrad, which is very impressive. And he went on TV and said, I know people are looking at the information that's coming out and saying, and this is, I'm not going to make it COVID related. We're not going to push into that. But he was saying that, oh, you can't listen to the, you, you you need to put a face to it. We need to think about the people. And he was trying to make an emotional appeal and say, you don't need to listen to what experts are saying. You need to think about the people and you need to, you need to think about the granny that died and all the, all these things. And I think that is the opposite of what people need to do. I think you need to look at the facts in general life and you need to assess the situation with facts. And then you can move forward with that. And an emotional appeal is just a way for someone with a poorly formed argument to try to persuade you without even having to actually argue. Because all they have to do is then just say you're a bad person because you don't like X, Y, or Z, or because you want X, Y, and Z to happen without ever having to refute anything else that you say. Well, this this gentleman, I think, had a very uh, a poor argument, I want to say, because it's not necessarily mutually exclusive to, one, consider the people, those people with families, thoughts, dreams, whatever, and also hearing what the experts have to say. You, you don't have to do one or the other. You could very well do both. Um, an emotional appeal is a very effective strategy because humans are uh, fortunately and unfortunately emotional. Like it, it's, it kind of depends on the situation. Yeah, it kept us alive on the deserts of the Serengeti, but in modern day culture, it kind of gets in the way of progress. Um, but I, I, I think that's an interesting point he tried to make, and I don't quite understand why he tried to make that. We need to be looking at what Dr. Fauci and his team is saying. Um, I wouldn't necessarily listen to Trump because of the whole comment he made about taking an antiseptic or whatever it was. Anybody remember what it was exactly? Chemicals. Um, and there were reports that poison control calls were up in New York City because people were doing that. Poison control denies that and says that that is not the case. Um, yeah, no one surely God was out there like taking their little meth needle and injecting themselves with it like that. This seems highly unlikely, but the fact that the most powerful man on the planet said something that was so poorly received, like that makes me nervous. <laughs> like, I, I, I definitely think he, whoever's writing his speech needs to elaborate more or uh, well, there's no way someone writes his speeches. Dear God. No, he does. He so just he off, just, cu- off the cuff said a lot of times. Well, he needs to off cuff it. 
more clearly. <laughs> because if it were something more believable, then people could have died from that. Like, he ne- he really needs to consider what he's saying being the highest office in the land. Like, it's just, it's very silly to me to even make a comment that could be even remotely misconstrued like that. But there was another, well, go, ahead, so, I... go ahead, Matt. No, no. I was going to say, there was another thing he said about UV light, and you need to go out and try to take in UV because the UV kills the virus more quickly, which the doctors have agreed with. And, you know, he said something about ingesting it, and he said, I think they're working on that, right? And there there is a lab, a company that is working on a new method, which I just found fascinating, whether or not it had anything to do with Trump when I heard about it, where they can put UV into your lungs to help kill airborne viruses that may be in your lungs, which is just really cool and would be super cool if it turns out to be super helpful with not just COVID-19, but whatever else may be an issue later on. Yeah. Bronchial infections, yeah. maybe. Now, what were you saying, Matt? Well, what, the other day, I want to say it was uh, this morning or yesterday morning, I was in the shower, and I had kind of reflected on this UV thing. And I thought, what if you, there was a way you could attach a UV light inside of a mask? Would, would that be helpful? I don't know. I think um, I've seen, like, UV rooms i guess is lack of a better way to say it that they put people in who have who are highly infectious with things like um oh what's the white powdery stuff they were sending in the mail for a little bit anthrax anthrax, things like that where if it was airborne it would it would help reduce the the airborne pathogens for my fancy words today um and it's basically just a whole room of what looks like black lights. There's just blue and black lights in the room. So I don't know if it would be... I don't know how powerful it has to be, I guess, is the answer. But it would be well, kind of cool. I want to see Monica mask. Lewinsky walk into that room. I don't. <laughs> why would, something, like, why would you need a UV light inside a mask? Like... There's the whole idea of a mask is assuming that before. it's... It's women and unattractive women. So having yeah, a UV no light inside of a mask, like, why why on earth do you think that would be effective? Because if the mask is good, there really shouldn't be a whole lot getting in. Well, and, but I don't like the idea of well, getting masks secondary. anyway. Because, you know, it just encourages touching your face. So I refuse to wear one to go to the grocery store. If they start making people do it, then I'm not going to the grocery store. It's absolutely ridiculous. But it's only really helpful if you're the one that's affected. Yeah, they're more for other people's protection than your own. Yeah. Well, my thought the other day was that, you know, hospitals are getting more uh, more money for the more people they say die from corona. So I'm wondering if there have been a bunch of false death claims about, well, this person died from corona. No, they died. I've got a lot of them, dude. I wonder if like people are dying from pneumonia, and they're like, oh, no, Well, COVID. Joe Diffie was reported to have died from coronavirus, had stage 4 cancer. Yeah, see, that's, I, I just don't believe... I, so he would have been immunocompromised anyway, it. so yeah, he would have been a prime candidate to die from COVID-19, Like, I, regardless of whether or not he had uh, cancer, stage 4 cancer, it doesn't really matter if he was killed by coronavirus, like... 
Yeah, it definitely. Well, stage four cancer is terminal. It could kill you. Well, but yeah, that's what, what I'm saying. But, but if he died like, from COVID nineteen, he died from COVID nineteen. It was just a serendipitous thing that he had this other uh, stage four cancer, and, and yeah, it probably compromised his immune system because he was likely going through some sort of chemo treatment, which is absolutely—it's basically injected poison in your body. Uh, so I just don't understand why you guys think that correlates. I don't—I don't think it correlates at all. Well, to suggest that healthy people should be as worried as somebody with a that has stage four cancer is to be incredibly disingenuous and most it seems like most of the data coming out now shows that the most people who are having issues have pre-existing health conditions that are yeah compounding this for a few months or a couple months now right we know that like what our older population is what's the problem like younger people are really only need to be considered like we only really need to consider transmitting it we need to stop the transmission at us like past that we shouldn't younger people shouldn't necessarily be that worried I don't wear a mask anytime I go out or gloves. I saw someone wearing gloves. Yeah, I think gloves. that's the most ridiculous thing ever. I, I saw someone wearing gloves at Kroger yesterday, and they touched things on the shelf. They touched their cart, <laughs> and then they touched, they touched their, their, phone, their phone, and then her face. I watched her touch her phone, and then her face, and I just wanted to go up to her and slap her and be like, you're an idiot. That's all. I've been talking about this for weeks. <laughs> The last podcast I was on, I was like, these dumbass people wearing gloves, touching their phones, touching their faces. Ugh. Oh, people. It cracks me up. People. You don't need to wear gloves. If you're going to get corona, just get it. What? (laughs) I don't think that's the way you should say that. (laughs) But okay. So if you're going to use them correctly, sure. But really, after you touch one thing, you should then change your gloves. In, in any kind of it's reality. really only going to be effective if you have blood on the on the floor, or you know you're going to go into, excuse me, a room with someone who has it, and you're trying not to get infected, and you need to wash your hands beforehand and afterhand. Like you need to wash like our whole body. Like I, I, it's just the most ridiculous thing in the world to think that some latex gloves are going to protect you from getting it is just just absolutely mind blowing to me. Especially if you're irresponsible enough to touch your keys, your phone, or your face. Two of the guys I work with what? were telling me that their wives make them change clothes in the garage and go straight to the bathroom to shower and stuff before they can like interact with things around the house when they get home from work. And I was like, that's the most overkill thing I've ever heard in my life. Overkill, but probably well, effective. People have uh, bought all the gloves up. I'm just trying to buy gloves so I can cut up jalapenos and then wash my hands and not have to like worry about touching my face. Like, <laughs> hey, I don't like hey, I wearing, wear gloves, wearing in the gloves when you're cutting meat. I don't. Like, meat. I, I mean, I'll put on the oven mitt sometimes. Can we just talk about how there are no left hand oven mitts? Like, I always use my, like, I have to take my right one and just put it on the other hand, and it's backwards. And, like, so the, the part that's not supposed to touch anything hot is touching things that are hot, and it'll burn it. I and would just like to tell it's you. the biggest thing in the world. I would just like to tell you, welcome to my life. <laughs> no, look, all you have to get is one of these kinds, the good kind. It's got it on both sides. Interesting. Ba-bam. I'm a lefty. Well, we that's got ours for free. They were, like, a housewarming gift or whatever. So, like, 
I'm not gonna complain. Yeah, but like one side is like a, a padded thing, that? and then the the reverse side is like kind of like decorative. a polyester sort of deal. Yeah, a decorative thing. And so whenever yeah. I try to pick something up with that hand, it it burns it. Yeah. Food Network brand. They're sticky. Yeah, I did use welding gloves for a while. I worked at Cracker Barrel, and like I would make uh, biscuits and stuff, and to get stuff in and out, I would just use welding gloves, my uh, stick gloves, because it was super duper handy. <laughs> Probably more heat resistant than any oven mitt you'll find. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't believe. But um, I just welcome to my everyday life. It's a struggle with with everything. Uh, scissors are awful. Uh, spiral bound notebooks are the worst. Um, mm-hmm. oven mitts that aren't reversible, like you say, I don't have that issue, but I just normally use a towel. Um, fair. Uh, things like, oh, what was the other thing we said the other day at work? Because one of the other ladies I work with is left handed and we have trouble. We were talking about gel all the things pins. we have trouble. Yes, gel pins, because they smear all over your hand. Um,. <clears throat> There's all kinds consequently of on the page. <laughs> yes, there's all kinds of things. It's a real struggle. Uh, we are discriminated you can against. Also balance, as people. Uh, <laughs> you can balance a cooking glove on your yes, head. You can. Too. I see that. That's impressive. It was kind of hard. That's what she said. Oh, very difficult to do. Uh, so I do kind of. Uh, I kind of have a question. It's not really one we really have to go all the way into, but just kind of. We don't of do anything halfway around here, Matthew. Not no, that anymore. is not true. Do we do all the things halfway. <clears throat> if it's worth doing, it's worth doing partially. Not the inverse, because <laughs> if everybody tells you the inverse, like they're completely wrong. <laughs> if something's worth doing, it's worth partially doing. So if something's okay, worth doing. Okay, then I'm just going to ask it's... the question. Uh, it's worth doing. Uh, so Dusty and I both, um, from our own separate homes, have been uh, making pretzels and homemade cheese dip. So I went with the uh, mild cheddar today. Uh, yesterday I had done a Velveeta, two uh, percent milk blend. Amazing! The Velveeta is the best. It it melts well. It has a great texture. Went with the mild cheddar. Wasn't so happy, didn't taste real well. Uh, had to mix in some Velveeta to give it any kind of non, uh, just sticky goop consistency. But if you guys were going to make a cheese dip, what's, for a pretzel, uh, have you, what's the flavor of cheese you would use? Samuel doesn't eat Absolutely cheese. Absolutely not. <laughs> I, would, I would use salt, and that's it. No mustard? Oh, wait, you so, don't do mustard either. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> what about butter? Uh, you I could deal with some butter. You could do some butter. I, I really wanted to do some cinnamon sugar ones, but I didn't because I wanted to try it out with salt first. I'm not upset that I did salt, though. Let me tell you, those things turned out pretty well. Um, <laughs> Mine, too. Huh? But, um, you know, I used a sharp cheddar. I was not a super big fan. I might try Velveeta next time. The problem I have with Velveeta is it takes a little bit longer to melt. Yeah. Uh, hey, uh, pro tip, warm it up in the microwave in chunks, then put it in. Much easier. Uh, but, Dusty, did you use a shredded cheese or a I bock? used a shredded cheese because it melts more So did easily. we. So did we. Yeah, you could. Uh, Zach, if you want to relay what you would use, I can tell the, the people. What flavor? 
Okay, everybody. Zach says a jalapeno and mild cheddar mix. The way I did it was I put jalapenos in my mild cheddar. Worked pretty mm-hmm. well. Uh, so, uh, and this is all thanks to someone I'd like to give a shout out to. Her name is Joe from Kentucky. Uh, Dusty knows her pretty well. Uh, so, Joe, thank you for the Facebook share on the the pretzels, uh, and hope you're having a good night. Uh, we'll see. Samuel, what does that bring us to? I mean, don't ask me. I'm not driving this train. Uh, <laughs> We're going off the rails on a crazy on train. Crazy, crazy train. train. Oh, God. Ba-da-da-da. That was so bad. That's totally got to get edited out. Oh, oh maybe no. Maybe I should leave it in. Leave I don't it. know. <laughs> no, we got to leave it in. All right, but, uh. Zach wants us to talk about the benefits of isolationism versus what we currently have. And if you're a person who believes in isolation, you should be, like, kicked off the planet. Like, you're an absolute <laughs> moron and can't read a textbook. Well, so that's all I really that? have to say about that. Well, now I'm curious. Uh, you may as well explain it to me. I'm dumb. Explain it uh, like I'm five. Zach's talking about... Um, Kind of, he's trying to get us back on track to our original question, which is very much appreciated, by the way. So he's talking about like how we were more isolationists in our history, uh, and now we are kind of becoming ourselves. We're bringing the rest of the world up to our standards, so we aren't quite. Uh, so he's trying to figure out what the benefits would be if we went back to isolationism. But to be fair, I don't think there are any at all any benefits. <laughs> like I think it's. The way we have it now is fine. So if we want to say, if we want to look at two examples of why isolationism is bad and very, very bad, we can look at these two things. So China, we don't like to compare ourselves to China, but it's a country and a nation full of people. It is what it is. It's, so they closed themselves off to the rest of the world for a thousand years, right? By the time they opened their doors again, their wooden navy was going in spats against the British Navy at the time had steel ships. I will let you imagine which one was far more superior and which country lost that. Well, the British um, Navy was one of the most powerful navies. It, not when China closed its borders. Well, in the history... When China closed its borders, it was by far the largest. So it was closed it closed itself off to technological uh, advances that would have been brought in from uh, the rest of the world. Because every nearly every country that had a significant navy had steel ships, so that was a huge uh, mistake on their part to become isolationist. Um, another example we can look at, and so if we don't want to look to China, we can look to the United States itself, right? So, just before the First World War, we were living in a country that was very isolationist, so we didn't like to get involved in other countries' affairs, right? So whenever World War One came around, we were forced into battle. Our soldiers <laughs> did not know what to expect, like a lot of the countries during that time. But if we had been more open, we would have been able to fight more frequently. But a lot of people died because we didn't have adequate guns, because we were given a bunch of guns by France, and their guns sucked. They would get yeah, uh, clogged up in the mud, and they wouldn't shoot. <laughs> they were worth crap. Uh, they, they, I don't know. They were just bad deal. If we had stayed as non-isolationists, we would have been able to adapt a lot faster and get back on track a lot faster. So if we want to look at another example, in the United States, 1929, the stock market crashed, right? So we could look, there are many, many attributes uh, to this, and we can attribute a lot to it. But one of the main factors is 
we no longer had anything to sell to people. Like we had people who made microwaves, who made, or maybe not microwaves, yeah, like vacuum cleaners, radios, whatever people needed. And there's only so many people in the United States that you can sell to. And these products were built to last, right? So they were built to last. And uh, once you, everyone in the United States had a radio, had a vacuum cleaner, who the heck are you going to sell to, right? So this, then during that point, we ran out of people to sell to, the demand fell off, so then supply rose, and that was very bad for people and companies. Many companies went bankrupt, a lot of people lost their jobs. This was a large contributing factor to the Great Depression. Uh, if we had been more of a globalized nation at the time, being able to uh, buy and sell with other countries, this problem would have been negated, and perhaps the Great Depression wouldn't have been so bad. But, so those are just a few examples that I look at whenever I consider isolationism versus globalization. And globalization is far superior, even if we have a pandemic occasionally. But we knew this pandemic was going to happen for the past two decades, maybe even uh, longer than that. Experts have been saying that, you know, hey, a pandemic, serious threat, should really consider uh, putting together some uh, things to help block any sort of disease or putting plans into place to where if something occurs that we have uh, steps that we can take to help resolve or to make it less pandemic-y and <laughs> to where it won't become an epidemic. Well, isn't that Hopefully what, they were satisfied with that, Dustin. Isn't that the whole purpose of the CDC? Wasn't that their whole deal? In the United States, but they don't really have any... Uh, say outside the united states well that's what the the who is for right the world health supposed Organization, to be but supposed to be we've already covered that so my real so i guess my question is then what is the purpose of the international i mean i don't guess the purpose is really but what benefit is there in funding international um international organizations like uh, <clears throat> NATO or the World Health Organization, things like that, as opposed to not giving them those big checks and spending that on things that could help it's us cheaper. progress here. It's Well, it, well, whenever you consider NATO, whenever it was first created, it was first created to keep the Soviet Union out of Europe. Right. We created the most successful and the most powerful uh, military alliance. Uh, military, yeah, military alliance the world has ever seen into this day. Uh, Dwight so, D. Eisenhower, baby. Right. It was. That was the president when my dad was born. No, your dad's old. Your dad's old. <laughs> yeah. But uh, Dwight Eisenhower was in office from what fifty five, fifty six to sixty. No. But anyway, if people oh. contribute to a larger pot, it's typically cheaper for 51. every one country. So doing massive organizations like this, I think, is better off in for countries and financial. It helps people become more globally dependent on each other, which helps prevent wars. So, I mean, there's a long list of things we could add to that. Um, so NATO, I think, is important to keep around because it's a huge military alliance. If a world war breaks out between Russia and the United States or China and the United States, we've got, like, the, the you know, four through 18 military superpowers that are back to help take out I mean, I, uh, can you call them military the the superpowers, world. though? I mean... Well, maybe... I mean, they're strong superior. They're superior to their neighbors. Like, uh, 
well, compared to the rest of the world, I guess I should say. Like, France, Germany, super strong compared to the most of the world. England, of course, very strong compared to most of the world. Netherlands, fairly strong compared to the rest of the world. Then you can get into uh, places like India, who I don't think is quite part of the uh, NATO, but we could make them part of They would be a very valuable asset if we were to fight China. I think China has a vested interest in making sure India does not join any kind of yeah, alliance sure that fact. way. Do they still I'm own? Sure. Do you know that India has a great navy? Who? India. Yeah, they are one of the best navies in the world. They're number four, the top, uh, yeah. the fourth military power in the world. Hmm. Strongest yeah, military. India's navy. Canada's I was got looking an air it up. force. It's impressive. And Zach would like to make it known that India has been buying a lot of United States products uh, and wartime products, such as bunkers and uh, fighter jets and such. For a very large sum Samuel, I would like to say, uh, your beard is looking a lot better. It's looking pretty good. It's getting there, man. Like, I I just, I don't know. Zach, your beard's <laughs> ugly as hell. Don't even fool yourself. Aw. Don't listen to him, Zach. It's just, it's just a leprechaun beard. There's nothing you can do. <laughs> Here, Zach. I got a Sharpie you could use. Aww. It's one of the drawing ones. It's retractable, too. Oh, I've got a joke, but that would be a very (laughs) inside joke. (laughs) Zach's jumping out of his roof. I hope there's a net up. (laughs) Nope. But so, you know, I just, I don't know. I I wonder if those, I guess, in a worst case scenario, those things are helpful. But uh, I did read something today that... The World Health Organization is calling on Canada to replace the money that the United States is withholding from them, and that there is a contingent of the Canadian population that is not happy about that. Although, I imagine. Hell, I although it is very likely that Canada, that Justin Trudeau, will fall in line and do as he's asked, told, whatever you want to call it. Probably. <clears throat> I did hear that Justin Trudeau had corona at one point. I don't know if that was true or not. probably another one of your conspiracy theories. I did hear, confirmed by the United States military, that there was, because I heard this conspiracy theory going around that COVID-19 was a, uh, uh, a, a weaponized virus. They were working on it as a weaponized virus. And that there was, in fact, a, uh, a bioweapons... Uh, lab in Wuhan. That's interesting. Confirmed, that, that by is the very U- interesting. confirmed by the U.S. military and Senator Dan Crenshaw. So did they accidentally infect some of their scientists? Like, what the hell happened? Well, it would make sense that they had this doctor who was saying that... It, I mean, it kind of fits in the, the storyline, right? They have a doctor who's saying... But did he hey, work this, there? Well, see, I don't know, but would we ever That's, know? Yeah. But we have this did doctor who says, hey, we've got this new virus, and China's trying to shut him up because, hey, maybe it was a weapon. Completely not legit. Like, I have done no research on this. But I did see where I heard on... Uh, Dan Crenshaw confirmed that there was a bioweapons lab in Wuhan. <clears throat> Which I thought was interesting. I mean, <laughs> hope it's not true, but what do you think if it, it is? is. <laughs> well, yeah. I'm sure bioweapons... I already believe Bioweapons are outlawed by the Geneva Convention, are they not? Should Most of them should be. Uh, 
Because things must... like nerve gas and mustard gas are outlawed. So I would imagine, well, yeah. like, viruses are. And if not, like, someone should probably get on that. <laughs> someone should be like, alright, hey, look. <laughs> yeah. Nukes cool, flamethrowers bad, says Zach. He used more words than that. <laughs> he, he, he... And landmines. Landmines are illegal as well. Although they Zach are still elaborated on the 38th and that, parallel. Zach elaborated and said that the Geneva Convention is fine with nuclear weapons, but thumbs down when it comes to uh, flamethrowers. Damn it, I guess I gotta get rid of that flamethrower. Joe Rogan has well, one not in his if, office. If it's the one that uh, Elon Musk made, yeah. it should be fine on the box. It's not a flamethrower. Elon Musk made one for Joe Rogan. Was <laughs> uh, the box on his say? Uh, flame shooting device? It says large butane really lighter. Really big cigarette lighter. <laughs> <laughs> large butane lighter. Um, what was I going to say? I had something to say and it was actually worthwhile and I don't remember now. Yeah, hopefully it won't worth too much while. Welcome to my life. <laughs> um, <clears throat> Old yeah. age. Matt, I swear to God, if you're trimming your nails... <laughs> No, I'm just getting under him with my Winchester knife. Okay. <laughs> Alright, guys, so I guess we'll just go ahead and end it there if no one else has anything. Um, well, I can't remember what I was going to say, so... I reckon... Oh, I do remember what I was going to say now. Um, so listening to the Cold War podcast, like we were speaking about OMG earlier... Odds. Um, they were talking about how the fighter jets that were developed for during Vietnam were so well first off they were talking about how terrible they were and how a and how a fighter pilot went to the person who designed the plane and told him that he was the worst person ever and said you suck at this and then instead of just being all mad and pissy about it he said okay then talk to me and they sat down and at the table in a restaurant pulled out pieces of paper and napkins and pens and figured out how to make the most efficient fighting jet they've ever seen. And they still use those today. And they've just upgraded them on and on and the on. The napkins? Yes, the napkins. They are very handy. <laughs> They're very dirty, though. But the, <laughs> I would assume. Uh, just think if you were doing, like, eating a sandwich. And you're are like, not, oh, there's a napkin in here. Those are not airplanes. But that was one of the... Uh, the Warhog is a, a land vehicle, is it not? No, I think it is an air vehicle, uh, but... It's what Pumbaa was in the Lion King. You guys are making this, like, war. editing process going to be hellish, especially since Zach isn't being recorded, <laughs> and he, he keeps talking. Well, that's okay. Yeah, this is ridiculous. But, ah! but they were talking about the different jets. I think it, uh, the Viper is, I oh. think, what it was. Um, they were talking about how the basically what they had designed was so good that... They're still in use today. All they've done is just upgrade the technology a little bit as more things have come along. How they took these terrible fighter jets that essentially we had we had started fighting the war with one hand behind our back. And then when we started winning, they tied the other one behind our back by taking away the best equipment we had and tried to make it more efficient to have one plane for every service of the military. And then those planes turned out to be awful, had no close quarter combat weapons, had 
missiles that had a eight percent uh eight percent effective rate not that they were going to kill something at eight percent but they were going to hit at eight percent <laughs> and that they were supposed to be missiles that locked on when you were out of like out of sight you couldn't see them but your radar picked them up and your missiles could lock on and then they told them you're not allowed to shoot until you see them basically rendering these missiles completely useless and being the only weapon they had but uh so they reworked these planes and they made them so that that's what we use now so i wonder if it's less of a jump forward and that we've just made such jump forwards that we're like okay wow well those were such great jump but it just forwards wasn't sustainable well but you just made such a leap it's like the it's like the nuke like the the very first nuclear warheads we made right so is there really that big of a difference in a h-bomb and a nuclear warhead like the guy, yes. the guy i heard so there's a large <clears throat> difference between an atomic bomb and an icbm a very very significant difference well, but are they not... Well, I'm the, I'm sorry. I meant a, a nuclear warhead and a thermonuclear warhead. Basically, both of them can level a city, right? It's just how effectively. But it's... it's a, So basically, you made this jump to this whole new realm of science. And we're just kind of creeping into that realm of science because we're afraid to explore because... We're afraid that maybe if we we'll hit a point of no return, where you know at some point somebody discovers something they shouldn't have, and like almost like the hydron collider, like if the hydron collider had. Oh, God damn it. Well, I understand that it's probably not. But it's like, oh, it's going to create a black hole. Exactly. Like, y'all, y'all are ridiculous right now. All right? Exactly. Like, That's exactly scared. what I'm talking about, though. Is people but get find scared. logic first? Become a become a physicist, a quantum physicist. And then argue that point. Damn that's it. it. Is people get scared because they don't understand the science, and then we get pushed off that science because people are scared. So it's almost—I mean—it's the same with nuclear energy, right? We're so scared that mm -hmm. there's going to be another Chernobyl or another Fukushima. Is that right, Fukushima? Fukushima, something like that. It'll—it works. Another what's it called that was hit by a tsunami, and uh, it, you know, so it pushes us. There's something that goes wrong in the testing phase, and we get scared away from it for 40, 50, 100 years, and then 250 years from now, they're going to look back and be like, oh god, I can never, th I, how did they never think to use nuclear energy? And it's not that we didn't think to do it, but we were too scared to do it because of the consequences. I think we've well, reached... See, that's another thing that, like, uh, that the, uh, the Arabs did they had a religious leader of the Islamic faith that said working numbers was the work of the devil. Uh, so it pretty much halted all scientific progress for that uh, for that community. Is that why they hate they, the Jews so much? I don't know for sure. Because they're but, bean counters? Like, is that a thing? <laughs> I that's don't know terrible, that's and that is all, it, uh, like, totally racial profiling, but, like, stereotypically it makes super sense. Yeah, I, I I don't know for sure, but that like the like we lost you know two hundred years of technological advances during that time. But so I like, wonder... so potentially because they were way ahead of their time, already had the rest of the world you know with catapults with uh, super like serious mathematic knowledge 
Like they were way ahead of the rest of the world. So we lost Trebuchets. a lot during that. Trebuchet is uh, my favorite because it's fun to say and it has a longer range than the catapult. Um, yeah, it, it was pretty nifty. But uh, anyway, but I just wonder if we've come to a point where we're at this wall in science where the downside is so much more dangerous than it ever has been. Because if you right, do so, if you make a mistake. And you have a Chernobyl-like so like event in a place that is a semi-populated always area. Always remember to like and subscribe and always... Then you could... And I understand that that is a very slim chance at this point because we would be it would be so heavily regulated and it would be so heavily checked. Like, it would be inspected constantly, you would think. But we've come to this point where fear has stopped us from innovation because... The downside is so much more catastrophic than it used to be. I mean, maybe if you blow, it's only going to get worse from here because if we start doing building black hole bombs, like you know that that causes an even larger issue because Gersh like yeah, it provide us with unlimited with uh provide us with unlimited uh provide us with unlimited energy, essentially unlimited energy. But then at the same time, it would be it would make an ICBM you know Zard Bomba look like a child's toy. Uh, so I mean they're super strong super beneficial if used properly so I mean it's yeah science I guess could be if you don't know what you're doing or you're not trained properly or educated properly yeah it could be very very dangerous for you well, I mean, uh, in the community around you but you know I, I just don't think that's that's worth you know living in fear and preventing scientifics moving forward I mean I, I'm, I agree with you but think about the the worst case scenario for catastrophic failure on a coal power plant. Okay. Versus worst case scenario catastrophic meltdown of a nuclear power plant. There's such a yeah. large difference there in what could happen. And I think that maybe that's what it is. Is that it's not that we're incapable of making leaps forward. It's that we are afraid to do so. Or the general public is afraid to do so because the catastrophic downside is much the risk is much higher than it has ever been maybe but like even if you were to take all of the fukushima the chernobyl the worst of the worst tallied up all those deaths right tally up all the deaths then you take all the deaths uh, attributed to coal and the burning of fossil fuels the burning of fossil fuels is far higher than any nuclear weapon or excuse me any nuclear energy that we could uh, possibly, that the deaths are far greater using fossil fuels than it would be for nuclear uh, fission for power. But once we go to nuclear fusion, it's a lot more stable than if we go to thorium. It's a lot less, a lot less volatile. So like, there are definitely improvements that could be made on nuclear energy. We just have to get to that point and push through the hate of people and give them cheap energy and make them happy. Yeah. See, everybody's happy when things are cheap. Look at gas. Everybody's fine with gas prices right now, even though it's probably yes. going to go back up, but and probably in a hurry. Yeah, probably. But well, anyway, guys, I think we've got to end it there. Uh, I've got a lot of stuff to do, and I'm sure you guys are busy as well. But thanks for tuning in. We'll talk at you next time. As always, remember to like and subscribe wherever you get your daily dose of podcasts. And remember, have a great day and stay six feet away from everybody. Everybody. Wash your damn hands. Sneeze into your elbow. <laughs>